really do appreciate uh, our board and how uh, what a blessing they are to work with and what a blessing they are to uh, uh, their people of faith and courage and just appreciate them very much. Uh, we, uh, I noticed just while we're embarrassing people, um, I noticed that uh, Derek is here today, and uh, and Tuesday is Derek's birthday. So, big shout out to Derek! Happy birthday, man! Good, good. Big eighteen. Yeah. <laughs> All grown up. Awesome. Good. All right. Well, let's uh, let's dive in. I hope you, uh, we had a kind of a, an extended Thanksgiving, we had a Thanksgiving week, not just Thanksgiving day, because uh, Liam and Carrie Ann were visiting from Ottawa for nine days, and uh, so that was pretty special, and that just gave us reason to, to kind of have meals all week and, and uh, have lots of, uh, lots of Thanksgiving together. We were very grateful for the time with all of our family together. So I hope you had a, had a good Thanksgiving week or Thanksgiving holiday, Monday, all that stuff. And uh, anyways, we're, we're diving back into our series, uh, Training for Raining. This is a six-week series that we're doing where we're going to be looking at uh, episodes in the life of Joseph. Not Joseph, the father of Jesus, but Joseph, the, um, the patriarch from, uh, from Genesis. And, uh, and this, as we walk through this over, over these weeks, this is a story about Joseph and it's a story about you. It's a story about thousands of years ago almost 4,000 years ago, and it's a story of right now, today. And uh, it's a story of how God works in and through every season and every circumstance of our lives. Even the most difficult ones, the most challenging ones, equipping us, strengthening us, helping us to become everything that He wants us to become. And preparing us for our purpose and our destiny. Uh, God had an ultimate plan for Joseph that he would, he would rule alongside Pharaoh in Egypt. Uh, that, that God would raise him up to a position of, of leadership in the world. Egypt was not just some country, it was the country. It was the greatest empire of that time. And, and so... God had a plan to raise Joseph up to this elevated position. And everything that happened before that in Joseph's life was training and preparation for the moment when God would lead Joseph into that destiny. God has an ultimate plan for you. He does. He has a plan for you to rule and reign with Christ. But even here in this, in this life, in this, in this world, um, uh, every season that has gone before now in your life has prepared you for this season. And in this season, God is preparing you for the next season. That's the way God works. That He's equipping us and strengthening us and preparing us for, uh, for His call and purpose in our lives. And we're going to spend these, these weeks learning how God uses these experiences in our lives. The things that happen around us, things that happen to us, things that, that, that He does in our lives to, um, to equip us every step of the way. And, and He wants to equip us to grow, to grow, to go from one level of spiritual authority to another. Every new season God has for you, He wants you to enter into a greater level of spiritual authority. We touched on this in week one 
when we mentioned from, um, from 2 Corinthians 3.18 where it says that, uh, that we behold the face of, God's, uh, of God, the, the glory of God, and are transformed into His glory in ever-increasing measure. God wants you to go from one level of His glory to another level. How does that happen? Life. The stuff of life and what God does in you in the midst of that. All right? So, Joseph. Just a quick recap on who Joseph is. Today's message title, by the way, is What is Your Dysfunction? Aren't you excited about that? Um, and a quick recap of Joseph's uh, background. Abraham was his great-granddaddy. Uh, Isaac um, was his grandfather. Uh, Jacob, also known as Israel, was his father. And he was the father of 12 sons. Joseph was the, the second youngest. And we get to Joseph. All right, here we go. Joseph's first point, Joseph's family dysfunction. So as I mentioned, um, Thanksgiving just passed, and some of us had to change our Thanksgiving plans. Maybe you were planning to get together with family, and you know, for this year, you were told, you know, you can't you can't gather in large groups in your family and so on. And some of you were really disappointed. Others of you might have gone, <laughs> right? Because sometimes family gatherings are just, you know, challenging because, because all of us have some level, some level of family dysfunction going on. All of us have some level of family stuff, right? Joseph is born into a long history of family dysfunction. Um, Abraham, his great-grandfather, had two wives. Actually, later a third one, but, uh, but um, kind of the ones we focus on. He had two wives, and he had a son by each wife. And the wives couldn't get along, and it was so bad that, that Abraham actually had to send one of his wife's wives and her son away. Just kind of give him some money, give him some food, say, good luck. <laughs> um, that's that's kind of messed up, right? Um, and, then, uh, and then his son Isaac, right? Joseph's grandfather, who married Rebekah, um, they, they had twin sons and they played favorites, right? One of, them, one of them really doted on one son and the other one doted on the other son. And, and, it, and it was so terrible that it actually ended up in, um, you know, kind of what we might say is the greatest epic sibling rivalry of all time. Right? They, these guys wanted to kill each other. They, they deceived each other. Just all kinds of stuff going on. Um, then Jacob grows up, gets married himself into, into a, kind of a weird sister-wives situation. He ends up with... He marries two sisters, which is weird enough. And then each of those sisters give their... Uh, their maid servants, their women servants, to Jacob uh, as wives as well, because their their sibling rivalry between each other they are so competitive that when they when they start having babies, they want they they're competing over who can have the most babies, and so they give their 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 servants to Jacob to see if you know, they can, their servant can have more babies than her servant. And all that. it just got really, really messed up. And, uh, and, and so as that goes on, 
Um, everybody knows who is Jacob's favorite wife, right? Of, of the four women he has in the household, everybody knows who his favorite wife is. And when she finally has, she was really late, you know, to the game. And, and when she finally had a couple of babies, um, Jacob, Jacob dotes on those babies and, and uh, on those sons and plays favorites with them as well. And, uh, and so, you know, everyone else got their clothes from Walmart and Jacob takes Joseph to Nordstrom's and gets him this really fancy, colorful suit, right? Because he's his favorite. And, uh, and it just ended up in, in you know, hatred and, and all this stuff going on. So let's, let's read a few verses about that. Jo- Genesis 37, starting in verse 2. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah. So those are two of Jacob's, the two maidservants, two of Jacob's wives. And, and the, the sons that he's talking about are Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. Those are, the, those are the, the, the brothers that Joseph is hanging out with and, uh, and tending sheep with. And it says, And he brought their father a bad report about them. So he comes and tattles on these four brothers of his. Um, just... We don't know what, what he told them, but it wasn't good. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. So there's nothing subtle going on here. No, no, you know, the siblings aren't going, I kind of think, you know, Jacob likes Joseph better. It's just obvious to everybody. Jo- Israel loved J- Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him, or a colorful robe for him. When his brothers saw their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So Joseph's brothers are just filled with hatred for for Joseph. Uh, And this is before he has his dreams. Right? This is just growing up as a kid. They just hated their brother and could not speak a kind word to him. Um, and, uh, and they actually start plotting his murder. They actually have a plan. Right? So, so let's, let's read some of that. Um, starting Jumping down to verse 12. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. Okay, so this is not, this is not, they just went down the road, you know, two kilometers to the next field over. Shechem is 80 kilometers from where they're living in Hebron. So that this, I mean, they're taking their massive flocks of thousands of sheep and they're traveling far away, 80 kilometers to the, to a lush valley where they can feed their sheep. Okay. Um, and Jacob says, come, I'm, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, Joseph replied. So he said to him, go and see, J- Jacob said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the field and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. It's another 25 kilometers away. They saw him in the distance. Before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer. They said to each other, come now, let's kill him. Throw him in one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. 
Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he was the oldest brother, he tried to rescue him from from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe, the colorful robe he was wearing. And they took him and threw him in the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spice, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hand on him after all. He is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianites, a.k.a. Ishmaelites, merchants, came by his brothers, came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern, sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? He obviously missed the the whole plot uh, and had to catch up. Then Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, dipped the robe in the blood. They took the colorful robe back to their father and said, We found this, examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Notice his brothers figured out a way to have his father assume what happened. They didn't actually have to say the words, right? They didn't have to lie to him. They just didn't tell him the whole truth right? Um, Then Jacob tore his robes, put on sackcloth, mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So, you and I might have some family dysfunction going on. Um, I'm guessing that if anyone dug deeply enough in any of our families, there's, there's some skeletons in all of our closets, right? Um, but not many families have anything on Joseph's family. If you've ever felt like where you come from or your family or what you've done or your background, anything about your past are disqualifiers for you from what God has intended for your life, for the plans that God has for your life, you do not, we do not need to fear, right? If God had a plan for Joseph, in the midst of, in, in fact, he had a plan for all of his brothers. He had a plan for the entire family. In spite of their dysfunction, in spite of their brokenness, in spite of the, the, all the mess that was their family, God had a plan for them. And their family dysfunction, their background, their foolish choices could not stop God's plan for their lives. And, uh, and I want to tell you today that if you have uh, in your life reasons that, that the enemy has lied to you, reasons that you have thought, you know what, I'm not sure God is able to use me. I'm not sure he's able to use my life because look at the mess that my family has been. Look at the mess that my life has been. Um, I want to just encourage you today that God is in the business of taking people who come from broken, dysfunctional messes and and transforming their lives and using even the very mess that they're in to bring about their 
good to bring about his plans, right? And, uh, and we, we read in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there's the difference. There's what matters, right? Is if we are in Christ. If we are not in Christ, then our mess is just a mess. But when we are in Christ, then God takes all things about our lives and transforms them for our good. And and Paul says here, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. God has made something new of your life. Not just will make something new. The new creation has come. It's arrived. It's here. It's already begun. Now, yes, it's a process. Yes, God is working it out. But it has come. That's good news, isn't it? The new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. So, some of us might look around at our lives and say, but I still see mess. What what do you mean the new has come? I, I still see mess. I still see brokenness. I still see family dysfunction. I still see things that, that, you know, that, 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 that are shadows from my past. I still see stuff. But the, 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 the deal is that it's, it's accomplished and it's in process. It's accomplished and it's in process. It's been, it's been purchased for you and There's a process of partnering with God to see His good plan worked out in our lives. Right? Um, I often compare it to if if you were going to paint a room in your house and you um, you went to home hardware or you went to Nicholson's or you went to wherever you buy your paint and you, you've got a gallon of paint. You've purchased it. It's bought and paid for. And you bring it home and you put the can in the middle of the room and you say, there, it's done. Right? It's, it's been purchased for me. It's been accomplished. Well, that would be kind of silly, wouldn't it? Right? Because you still have to apply the paint to the walls, right? The new creation has been purchased for you. It's been provided for you. It's come. It has come. And now in your life is the daily process of applying the new creation to your life, right? There's a process involved of walking out, of partnering with God, of aligning your life with the new creation, not aligning your life with the mess. Does that make sense? Of saying, my life is not, yeah, this stuff happened. And yeah, you know what? God is actually going to use it for my good. But I'm not going to stay camped here. I am a new creation. And all of that stuff is actually going to feed what God wants to do, the new creation He wants to bring about in my life. And I'm not going to stay stuck focused on what was. I'm not going to stay stuck focused on where I've been. I'm going to focus my life on the plan and the purpose of God. And as I do that, He's going to use all of the circumstances in my life to bring about His good. Right? I I think... Joseph just had this amazing way of not, not getting, getting caught in the gravitational pull down that his family could have been. To keep him grounded, to keep him you know, from being able to, to go where God wanted him to go. 
The people God has used throughout history, throughout Scripture, all of them have checkered stories. In fact, there's some pretty serious skeletons in the genealogy of Jesus. And I think the Bible not only doesn't hide it, I think the Bible puts it right out there to say, look, none of that matters when you've chosen to align your life with the purposes of God. So Joseph's family dysfunction, Joseph's opposition, his family dysfunction leads to his brothers literally wanting to kill him. They have, a, they have a plan. They've got it all planned out. They know exactly how they're going to do it and what they're going to do. Their contempt for him as he approaches them, he finally finds them in Dothan, and, and he, he approaches them. Their, their contempt for him reaches a max. Like it just, they just can't take it any longer. Here comes that dreamer. And that was not a compliment. Right? They just, they say it with, with spite and contempt. And he has a couple brothers, Reuben and Judah, that even though they hated him too, they had enough of a conscience to have second thoughts about murder. They just want to sell him into a life of slavery. That's all. Right? And tell a lie to their father saying that he was killed by wild animals. And that's just the beginning of Joseph's opposition that he faced situation after situation. Joseph faces opposition in his life. What opposition do you face? Do you have family members who don't believe in you? You have friends who mock you for your faith in Christ. You have workmates or schoolmates who don't take you seriously. People who even bully you about your faith. I love the way that we never see Joseph in, in the whole story of his life. We never see Joseph defending himself. You ever notice that? We don't see Joseph defending himself. When his brothers pick on him about his dreams, he just waits. He knows they're from God. He knows God will make it happen. When they see him coming in the field, he seems oblivious to their hatred. He's just like, oh, I'm bringing some food to my brothers. I'm going to go talk to them. I'm going to go see how things are going. Right? And they're like, right? They're just like stewing. And he's just, oh, I'm just going to see my brothers. Right? He, he seems oblivious to the, to the hatred. And then they, they grab him and they tear his robe off and they beat him up and they throw him in the pit. And it's interesting that we don't hear about Joseph yelling at them, saying, why are you doing this? Or get me out of here. We don't hear any of that. Interesting. When the Ishmaelites are conducting the transaction to buy him as a slave, we don't hear him pleading, saying, you're my brothers, how dare you do this? Why would you send me to, you know, as a slave? We don't hear any of that. Joseph just keeps trusting God to be his defender. Trusting God to be His way maker when there seems to be no way. Trusting that somehow God is going to take these seemingly bad turns and flip them around and use them for the completion of His plan. He chooses to let the opposition in his life strengthen him instead of embitter him. Rather than complain and grumble and fight it every step of the way, 
Somehow, even before these words were written hundreds of years later, Joseph understood that no weapon formed against him could prosper. Even when it feels like it. Even when it seems like it. Even when it, every, every indication is that I'm, I'm getting pummeled right now. Joseph trusted that no matter what happened to him, no weapon formed against him could truly prosper. In fact, those words that were written, again, hundreds and hundreds of years later by Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 54, Isaiah says, I made the blacksmith who's making those weapons. You think he can do something that's out of my control? I don't think so. No weapon, even if it's intentionally formed against you, is going to prosper when I have a plan and purpose for your life. Isn't that amazing? Right? And then there's the matter of Joseph's age. When we meet Joseph, he's 17 years old. His brothers just think he's a spoiled, bratty little kid who's too big for his britches, right? In their minds, his age was a disqualifier. Were there there challenges that came with Joseph's age at 17? Of course there were, right? He wasn't ready for all the things God, God wanted to do in his life. But God's purpose Um, his purpose for his life took all of that, took his age, took all of those things into consideration. The problem comes when we write ourselves or other people off as being candidates of someone that God can use because they're either too old or too young. Right? Right? There's no junior Holy Spirit. You know, junior Holy Spirit for little people. And when they, when they get older, they can graduate to the real thing. God can use children and God can use teens just as well as He can use adults. Differently, yes. But the Holy Spirit is for them just as much as it is for people of any age. And... There's no retirement Holy Spirit. Did you know that? There's no retirement Holy Spirit. It just gives you warm memories of when you used to be useful for God's kingdom. Not a thing. But that same Holy Spirit that empowered you then empowers you now. And are there challenges? With our, you know, at every stage and every age, of course there are. But the Holy Spirit wants to work in and through our lives at every age and every stage, right? Um, he wants to, the Holy Spirit wants to connect you in relationship to the Father, wants to lead you into the Father's plans every day wants to provide the the anointing and power and authority to do what God has called us to do in every season. Joseph's social limitations. Joseph is a slave. He's been sold into slavery. He is now property. He doesn't have property he is he doesn't have money he doesn't have a position that would gain him you know leverage with some group of people he doesn't get to talk to nobles and kings let alone advise them and it seemed in joseph's situation there was no clear path 
from where he was to where he believed God was calling him. There was no clear path. Slaves don't become prime ministers. Slaves don't become advisors in the king's court. But again, we don't see Joseph sweating it. We don't see him schmoozing everyone, trying to, you know, push his way in. We don't see him trying to make something happen. But Joseph trusts. He didn't run around trying to convince people how important he was. He trusts. No one, least of all Joseph, as a slave, no one could have arranged the circumstances that led to Joseph's sudden elevation to leadership. You can't just make that stuff happen, right? His, his co-prisoners have dreams and th- three years later, somehow Joseph gets mentioned in a conversation and suddenly Joseph goes from being a prisoner to an advisor in the king's court. You can't make those things happen. God is in the business of making things happen that make no sense to us. Right? He is in the business of being a way maker like we sang about this morning. Your heavenly Father has a way of removing every barrier in the most unexpected of ways. I've seen it in my own life and I'm sure many of you could tell stories of how God did something that you, when you looked back, it was like, how could this have possibly happened? Right? How could I have gone from here to here? Nobody but God could do that. Our job isn't to push through God's plans for our lives. But it's to cooperate with Him and be ready. In the moments when He calls, to be ready. Say, okay, yes, Lord. Right? And lastly this morning, Joseph's disappointments. Think of all the things that could have stopped Joseph. It was probably all of the disappointments that he faced along the way. Disappointment can discourage the greatest of leaders from accomplishing great things if they let those disappointments overwhelm them. The way we respond to disappointments and setbacks can fuel us or frustrate us. And it all has to do with the way, not the disappointments themselves, but the way that we respond to them. I'm sure you've heard the example of, uh, of Thomas Edison overcoming his tenacity and overcoming setbacks and failure. When he was, uh, he, he invented a number of things. He was a pretty brilliant guy back in the 1800s. <clears throat> And uh, uh, when he was working to develop a commercially viable incandescent light bulb, right? The light bulb that you screw in. Um, Edison and his team are said to have failed in 10,000 experiments. 10,000 times. In fact, he tried 6,000 different materials for the filament alone in the light bulb. 6,000 different materials before he found one that worked. 10,000 times he failed in producing a commercially viable light bulb. And when he was asked about all of the, the, the many times of failing once, Edison said, I've not failed 10,000 times. I've successfully found 10,000 ways that it will not work. 
right? And he had a way of approaching disappointment and setbacks that it fueled him and didn't stop him. He was also trying to invent, Edison was the the inventor of of a viable battery system. And, And according to his friend Walter Mallory, Edison had tried 9,000 experiments and hadn't yet found a solution. When Mallory commented about the lack of results, Edison promptly responded, Results? Why, man, I've gotten lots of results. I know thousands of things that won't work. So it wasn't just one situation, but his entire attitude in his life was setbacks are only opportunities for growth right? Joseph had a ton of disappointments. The reaction of his family to his dreams, he was disappointed. The hatred and betrayal of his brothers. Being thrown into a pit and scared for his life. Can you imagine what that would feel like? The loss of his family as he shipped off. I mean, he was pretty tight with his dad. And he shipped off to Egypt, potentially never to see him again. Being sold like property and suddenly going from being a prince to being a slave. In another country, in another culture, may not have even known the language, but he's suddenly thrust into this difficult situation. Then he faces false accusations by his employer's wife. Ends up in prison. Just going from bad to worse to worse, right? And then he he thinks maybe, you know, he he helps the cupbearer in prison with him and he, he says, Remember me, right? And he thinks, maybe, maybe this is it. He's got the ear of the king. Maybe this is it. And three years go by. And he sits in the prison. Disappointed, yes. Discouraged and defeated, no. He keeps trusting. He keeps living righteously. He keeps doing rightly. He keeps serving with all his heart. What do you do with your disappointment? Do you allow it to discourage you? Guarantee, we're all feeling some disappointment right now. Some of you felt major disappointment on Thanksgiving weekend. The stuff we're going through right now causes all kinds of disappointments. Maybe you've got disappointments that have nothing to do with COVID-related issues, but family stuff, relationship stuff, things that just happen out of the blue, and, and, and the disappointments just seem to keep coming. It's called life. What do you do with your disappointment? Do you allow it to discourage you? Or does it fuel you to get up and go again? Say, God is using even this to strengthen me, to equip me, to take me to the next season. What we can learn, I just, I love this picture. Of uh, this guy who gives up. I mean, he's this close, right? He's that close. And he gives up because, oh man, it's been so long. I've worked so hard. It's been so tough. He's so close. Folks, sometimes I think you and I, we're so close to a breakthrough, but it just gets so hard. And we've prayed for so long. 
We've trusted God again and again, and, and it just hasn't happened yet. I don't know how he did it through all of the things. I, I mean, I can't imagine walking through the things that Joseph did and keeping the attitude that he did. It's amazing. God, give me a heart to trust you that jumps over disappointment, that jumps over the obstacles that would, the enemy would want to use to keep me from your best, to keep me from your purpose for my life. And may I keep walking in obedience and keep trusting, not defending myself, but trusting you, God, to be my defender. What can we learn from Joseph today? It's not the things that happen to us that shape our character or shape our destiny. It is our response to the things that happen to us that will determine whether we will shrink back or grow forward. That's worth saying again. It's not the things that happen to us that will shape our character or shape our destiny. It is our response to the things that happen to us that will determine whether we shrink back or grow forward. I want to land us as the worship team is coming to join me. I want to land us on a couple verses in Hebrews chapter 10. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. For, and then he quotes two Old Testament scriptures, for in just a little while, He who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong, he says, to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Let's stand. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In a moment, we're going to respond with a, with a song of, of faith and declaration of worship to God. But I want, to pray, I want us to pray together before we do that. Some of you might, that are, some of you that are listening today and watching participating from home. You might be feeling the weight, an incredible weight of discouragement, and disappointment today. There's things, circumstances that have just piled in on you. Maybe some family things, maybe some personal financial things, maybe just some other stuff, or maybe it's all of the COVID stuff that just comes, keeps coming, just doesn't seem to stop, right? Just keeps coming. And uh, maybe you faced setback after setback. And I believe it is universal that we all want to know, can I still trust God even now? 
Maybe you haven't felt like you even had permission to ask that question. But I want to assure you that every one of us asks that question. That every one of us, when we face difficult, challenging, hard circumstances in our lives, asks that question. It's okay to ask it. But I want to declare this morning a resounding yes as the answer to your question. That we see in Joseph's life that no matter what he faced, he found that he could trust God in the midst of it. And so, Father, I pray for every person watching this today that is wondering that question, that is wondering, can I trust God with my life, with my future, with my destiny, or even just with, my, my, with who I am right now? Can I trust God in this situation? God, I thank You that You are good all the time. And that no matter what we might face, no weapon formed against us can truly prosper. And that God, you are at work in our lives in a way that we can trust. I pray today for those who are maybe even almost, they feel like they're almost out of faith. Almost ready to give up like that picture of the miner that we just saw. Almost ready to give up at the edge of the breakthrough. And God, I pray that you would infuse us today with your strength and your hope that we would know 